thought-provoking stuff, some very challenging words. Um, And you may have wondered, maybe not, it might not have even crossed your mind, but I have contemplated, you know, pushing this on Sundays and saying, look, you got to be here. What we're the word that we're given right now on Wednesdays is it'll change your life. And how many of you believe it'll change your life? Amen. Uh, but, you know, I haven't really said a whole lot about it on the weekends uh, because Wednesdays tends to be our crew that, uh, you know, you're here because you want to be here. Okay, you're not you're this isn't the night that you come out just because you're bored and don't have anything to do. You got plenty of stuff to do. You got kids to get ready for school tomorrow. You got to get ready for work. You probably have a pile of things left over from today to finish up. Maybe you're missing your show or your game. Uh, and, and I understand that. And as a pastor, I feed off of value. Um, when people are pulling, when people are drawing, um, there's an anointing to minister. There's anointing to teach. There's anointing to preach in those opportunities. Um, it, you know, you can make it easy for me and you can make it hard for me. That's all right. I'll preach either way. Uh, but you can simplify it by drawing and pulling on the anointing. But on Wednesday nights, you know, we got a crew here that wants to be here. And, and I've just settled within my heart that this message and what we're sharing, uh, you got to want it. Um, Jesus was very specific when he talked about ministering and, you know, you ever wonder why people don't get it, ever wonder why people don't seem to grasp it. You can, you know, have a full row of people and two people out of the entire row get it and the rest of them are like, hey, what's going on? And Jesus addressed this in Matthew chapter 13. You know, his disciples asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he said, what we're getting ready to look at, what we've been looking at, they have eyes to see, but do not see. And they have ears to hear, but do not hear. Why did he talk to his disciples differently than he talked to the multitude? Why did he talk to 12 differently than he talked to 5,000? Why did he talk to three differently than he talked to the 12? And it was about expectation. When you come with an expectation, when you come with a desire and a drawing, you can get something different even though you heard the same thing that the person next to you heard. And, and, and that's what we're identifying. I mean, Jesus said himself, look, you know, the sower goes out to sow the word and only one out of four gets it. Only one out of the four gets it to the point of being fruitful. Some of it will fall onto hard ground. It never broke anything. Never went anywhere. It went. And was that Jesus' fault? No. Was it the word's fault? No. It was the hearer's fault. The responsibility on the hearer. Then there's those that get it. And they receive it with joy. But then they get out in the world and trials and struggles start coming up. and starts to choke out the word that's being spoken here tonight. And maybe you're one of those. Maybe, man, we get excited, we get jacked up. You even come up to me after service, say, man, that was right on, that was an awesome service. But then we get out of there and things start choking it out. Then there's those that we hear the word and we get excited about it and then we get out there, but then the cares of the world take priority. We start looking at riches and we start looking at 
other things that get our focus off of what we just heard instead of meditating on the word. But those that heard the word and understood it, Jesus said, are the ones that bore fruit of it. See, I I don't care that you hear the word tonight. But I do care that you do the word. And I do care that we apply the word. That's That's the greatest thing for me as a pastor. That's the greatest thing for me as a pastor is when I see people doing the word. I have conversations with people, and they're in situations, but they say, but man, I I did this, or your message came, or the word came to mind, or the scripture came to mind, because that's ultimately what's going to save your life, not me preaching. The word. And so, you know, on this, you know, for our Wednesday nights, we get people that have fought to be here. You've been through some stuff to get here. You fought some traffic to get here. You fought some kids to get here, you fought some spouses to get here. You, you, you fought time to get here. You have let go of some things that could be a priority. You said, no matter what, I'm going to make sure I'm there. Last week, or really just this past Sunday, I put out a little challenge on Facebook. Everybody's challenging everybody, so I said, I'll challenge. I challenge you to do whatever it takes to come to church. And we had 65 people in the house on Sunday. You know, there's an expectation that is stirred up. And I don't believe that we just had 65 people in the house. I believe that we had 65 people that got the word and then went out and did something with it. Because there was an expectation. There's a drawing. And so we've seen here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, we look at this. We, we saw this. The first one says, the lamp of the body is the eye. So if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And so we, we're taking a look that there's a seeing principle. There's a perceiving principle that Jesus is talking about. And he's not talking about the literal eye. He's talking about the eye of your spirit being able to perceive the word that is spoken. And that's when he addressed the the issue in Matthew 13, they have eyes to see, but they don't perceive. They don't understand. They don't comprehend. There's no comprehension. There's no stick to it. It's not sticking with me. There's no value. There's no attention given. But when your eye can see and then your mind can understand, then a recognition takes place. And when you recognize something, then there's an expectation. Recognition breeds expectation. We've been looking at this. Recognition breeds expectation. I have to have an ability to recognize something before I can draw what it has for me. And we've seen examples. You know, I gave you the one example of the woman at the well, and she's sitting right next to the Messiah, right next to the one that can save her. She's got problems, doesn't even realize it. Jesus begins to identify problems and then brings solutions because God doesn't just show up, you know, reveal all your problems. He wants to answer all your problems. He wants to fix all the problems. Amen? And so he begins to identify, well, man, you, you've had five, you know, you, you've got an issue here. You've had five different husbands. The one you're with now isn't even your husband. And then her response was, I perceive you are a prophet. I understand. I I see something now. I mean, Jesus didn't switch places with a prophet. 
He wasn't like not wearing a prophet hat and then put on a prophet hat. He was the same person. Same individual. But it was the woman's responsibility to recognize before she could expect what he had to give her. You know, you make statements like, you know, why don't you come to my well? I've got some living water. What? We've been drawn from this well. I mean, our ancestors drew from This is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's well. And Jesus says, yeah, and I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there's some recognition that needs to take place. We've been looking at this. Tonight I want to talk about being drawn away but being drawn near. Drawn away, but drawn near. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, we're going to, uh, let's see, are we going up or down? We're going up. Verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We've seen this verse. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. And where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. There will your heart be also. Storing up treasures. Jesus is using treasure to identify value. He's speaking of value here. And one of the things about recognizing God, this is kind of the thing that we've been in, is recognizing a move of God in our lives. Last week we talked about raising awareness. Becoming aware of his presence. And not just looking for his presence in the big moments when the music's playing and we're all in church. You know, that might be a little bit of an easier moment for you to experience him, but you can experience him anytime. And we ought to. You should be taking advantage of the presence of God in your life. You realize that before the crucifixion, there was a veil that housed the presence of God. And when the presence of God is behind a veil and you don't have access to the presence, can you imagine a different lifestyle? Can you imagine what it was like for Old Testament people serving a God that they could never feel his presence? They couldn't feel his presence. That wasn't available to them. But now Jesus, he dies, he's crucified, the veil is torn, and now we have free access. Could you imagine what David would have done with free access to God's presence? What Moses would have done with free access to God's presence? I mean, you got Moses sitting on a mountain saying, show me your glory. And yet we have it available to us. And we don't take advantage of it. We miss out on opportunities where God is showing himself faithful in our lives, is making his presence known. And we miss it. So we talked about raising awareness, be still and know. And so here we're talking about value. Because if you don't value the presence of God, you won't have an expectation for it. 
If we don't value being in his presence and what that does for our lives, then we won't be looking for it in our lives. And so he says here, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What is he saying? It's about what you give attention to. So I can give attention to the natural or I can give attention to the supernatural. I can give attention to what I see all the time or I can give attention to what I don't see. Now, I'll tell you right now, this world is a terrible mirror for the presence of God. What I mean by that is the natural realm does not reflect the supernatural realm, which means you have work to do. It's work. You know, when, when I say we need to be more, well, more aware of the spirit realm than our natural realm, I mean, that, I'm not just throwing that out there like, you know, go home and try it. Now, that takes work. That takes some focus. That takes some attention. You don't just accidentally focus on the spirit realm. That's not an accident. No, that's work. What we just did here, why was I waiting? Why was I drawing? Why was I pulling? Because that takes work. We don't just start playing songs and all of a sudden we're in the supernatural. Until you practice it. I mean, Brother Hagen, you know, he said, I, so I, you know, be up on the stage in the natural, jump off, and by the time I hit the ground, I'm in the supernatural. Because he practiced it on a daily basis. The Spirit of God is more real to me than my wife laying in the bed next to me. You don't make those statements just casually. There's a practice, there's a repetition, there's a lifestyle that's taking place that's saying, I'm more aware of my spirit side than my natural side. And this isn't to be kooky, this isn't to be weird, this is who you are. And many of us have accepted our natural bodies over our spirit. When you are a spirit, you possess a soul and you live in that body. This body is your vehicle in the earth. It's still important. Still vital, you still got to take care of it, but it's only housing the real you that's inside. And so we've got to learn to give attention. We've got to learn to place value. Where, you're, where you lay your treasure is where you see your manifestation. Where you lay your treasure is where you see your manifestation. What I focus on is what I'm going to, is the ex- expectation I'm going to set. If I'm expecting God to move and giving attention to the supernatural regardless of what the natural is telling me, then I can see God move in my life. Now I have an expectation for the supernatural. But if I only lay my treasure in the natural, what I mean by that is if I'm only giving attention and only valuing and only uh, 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 being focused on what's around me and what I'm in, then I'll miss the supernatural. I'll miss the supernatural. Where you lay your treasure is where you see your manifestation. Look at Philippians chapter 12. Or Philippians chapter 2, I'm sorry. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out 
your own salvation with fear and trembling. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. For it is God who works in you. See, we're, we're missing God because we're looking around us, not in us. We're looking for God to transform stuff around us when he's saying, I need to transform you on the inside. I need to take care of who you are on the inside before we take care of everything on the outside. It is God who works in you. We're talking about recognition. You've got to recognize where God is working. You've got to recognize what part of you he's working on. You've got bills. You've got marriage issues. You've got kids that are going crazy. You've got a job you're trying to find. You're trying to get an answer on do I go back to school or do I not. You're, you're, you've got questions in the natural, and he's trying to take care of them in the supernatural. He's trying to take care of them on the inside, who works in you both to will and do his good pleasure. He has a will, and he has a good pleasure for you. But it starts from the inside out. And so this is the recognition factor that we're talking about. Now, here's what's awesome is when I recognize where God is working, something changes. Because an acknowledgement of God is an invitation for more. An acknowledgement of God, an acknowledgement of God moving. See, this is why recognition is so key. Because if I don't recognize it, I can't acknowledge it. This is all... Building, this is all stepping stones to getting, experiencing, sensing God move in our lives. When I acknowledge, when I recognize a move, and when I acknowledge the move in my life, that's an invitation for more. Now I'm setting myself up for the next moment. When I see him move once in my life, I want to see him move again. When I recognize him change one area of my life, I say, God, I want you to change all of it. When, when, I, when he affects my finances, I say, God, affects my family. God, uh, affect my job. Affect my mind. Change my mind the way you change this. Change my body the way you change this. It, it's an invitation but if we miss out on the acknowledgement side, if we mix, miss out on the recognition side, then there's no expectation. And there's no invitation. So we've got to acknowledge, number one, where God is moving in us, not around us, in us. Because God says, I'll change what's around you by changing what's in you. I'll change your finances by changing the way you think about finances. I'll change your marriage not by changing the other person, but by changing you. <laughs> I'll change your kids not by changing them, but by changing you as a parent and giving you the ability from the inside out to raise them godly, biblically. I'll change your job situation when I change you as an employee. You want that raise? You think you're ready for that? Well, I'm going to set you up. From the inside out 
So now when I recognize God move, I acknowledge it and I say, I need more of that. Now here's why an invitation is so important. Because you invite in your life what you love. You invite in your life what you love. And this is where it becomes key. Because bottom line is sometimes we're missing God move in our lives because we're still stuck to things that he hates. Sometimes we're missing God operating our lives Because we're still working on some stuff, still growing in some things that he says, I'm not going to contend with that. I'm not going to play second fiddle. I'm not going to be, you know, next in line. And so this is where the value comes. Because where you lay your treasure is where you see your manifestation. Look, if you lay your treasure in the natural, you're going to get what the natural can give you. It'll pay out. But when you lay your treasure in the supernatural where God is and you say, that's what I value, that's what I'm going to give attention to, regardless of what the earth, what the world tells me, then you'll get what God has for you. You'll experience God move in your life. An acknowledgement of God is an invitation for more. Look at 1 John chapter 2. These next few verses are going to tie all this together. Again, we're talking about recognizing God, experiencing God, seeing him move in our lives, seeing him change things in our lives. But we invite what we love, 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, do not love the world. Or the things in the world. Now, first of all, I need to bring some clarity to that. When he says world, he's not literally talking about the world that we live in. He's speaking of the evil sphere of influence that's dominated by Satan. It's literally what he's speaking about. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... Watch this. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. God is not going to share you with the world. God is not going to share you with other things that have you. If money has you, God's not going to share you with that. He's going to say, you can't experience me because you want this more than me. You're laying your treasure in earth. Now, if you want to lay your treasure here, then you value this. And then you'll get the manifestation based upon where you lay your treasure Adoration for one thing breeds contempt for the other. This verse actually tells us that there, it's literally impossible 
to love the world and love God at the same time. See, this is the thing that comes up. If we want to experience God in our lives, if we want to see him move, if we want to begin to recognize, you've got to identify there's going to be some things that are going to be revealed that have to be let go. We're we're missing out on experiences with God and we're missing out on moments with God because we're still tied to the world, to the world's way. We're missing God move in our lives financially because we're still stuck to another resource financially. We're not literally putting all of our trust in him. We're missing out on God moving our bodies physically. Maybe it's healing. Maybe there's sickness or disease. And we've we, we still have some connection to the earthly treasure. But he says, if you'll lay your treasure here in heaven, then heaven can impact your situation. You will receive the manifestation based upon where you lay your treasure. Adoration for one thing breeds contempt for the other. And so this is exciting because the more that I can get myself And drawn to God, the further away I am drawn from the world. The closer I get to God. See, you you know, sometimes we come into the kingdom, you know, and and there's things that, there's addictions, there's things that we want to let go. There's things that we want out of our lives. I I don't want this. And we, you know, some of us have even prayed this prayer, God, take this desire. Just take it away from me. I don't want to do this thing anymore. I don't want to talk this way. Take this, take this cussing away from me. I just seem to cuss all. Just take it away. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. But the easiest way to let go of that is to get closer to Him, because an adoration and a love for Him breeds contempt for the other. And the closer you get to Him, the 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 quicker you'll realize. I can't keep talking that way. I can't keep saying those words. I can't keep responding to people like this. Because I love God too much to do that. I can't keep hanging out with those people. I can't keep drinking. I can't keep uh, smoking or whatever it is that you're wanting to let go. You get closer to him and it will fall off. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. Back over to Matthew chapter 6 says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, mammon being money. But money's not the only God in the world today. It's not the only thing that we idolize in the world today. We all have things that are uh, trying to draw us away, and the more attention we give to it, the less attention we give to God. It's impossible to do both. We're talking about recognizing God. We're talking about experiencing God. Why is it that some of us struggle with that? Why is it that some, maybe it's because we have an affection, we have an adoration for something naturally in the earth where God wants to say, I want you to let go of that and I want you to get closer to me. 
What you give attention to, you develop an adoration for. What you give attention to, you develop an adoration for. I remember when uh, I was vehicle shopping for the second time in my life. My first car I I, I got uh, my senior year in high school was the little red pickup truck, little Chevy S10. And I loved it. It was a great truck. Uh, But I was looking for, I wanted something bigger. And so I got my first real job uh, after I had moved to Florida. And um, I said, you know what? I'm making more money. I can take on a a car payment, you know, because I wasn't paying for this one. I can take on a car payment. I got room in the budget to do this. And so I'm going to go big. And I wanted a Dodge Ram. That That was the vehicle I was looking at, Dodge Ram. That's a big jump from the Chevy S10. And um, and so, you know, I'm, you know, kind of looking around and trying to figure out what I want to do. And we had a family in our church that was Nissan crazy. That's all they drove was Nissans, man. They had a Titan. They had a 350Z. They had a, I think they had a Pathfinder at one point. One of the sons had a, a Frontier. And so I was thinking, you know, I was, I, 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 but because of hanging around them, they kept talking to me about Nissan. I was like, no, nah, man, I'm, I'm going to do a Dodge Ram. I want a Dodge Ram. I like how those look. I, I got Hemis or whatever else. I, you know, I don't even remember what it was. I just wanted a bigger truck. And, um, but hanging around these guys and their Nissans, I ended up giving attention to a lot of Nissans. And they kept, they kept bugging, putting a bug in my ear. The second I told them, I said, yeah, I'm looking for a bigger truck. Because the boys, the, the sons, I mean, they were truck guys. That's what they loved was trucks. And so I kept hanging around them, and they kept talking Nissan, kept talking Nissan. And before I knew it, I was developing a value for Nissans. I was giving attention to it. And on the inside, without even knowing it, I was shifting from Dodge to Nissan. I remember this when I was a kid. And it's so funny because in studying this, this was the first thing that came to mind. I remember as a kid, you know, every time my parents would get a new car, we would be in the car driving, and all of a sudden, you would start seeing that car everywhere you went. That's happened to somebody else? You get a car, it's like, I never saw these cars. I never saw one of these before. Look, there's a there's same color, just like mine. I bet it's the same year. I bet it's the same model. Isn't that interesting? That what you give attention to, you begin to recognize more. <laughs> and what you give attention to, you develop an adoration for. You You, you may have hated it. I mean, for me, I hated reading. In high school, mm. I was trying to find the cliff notes for cliff notes. I was trying to find out the shortest. Maybe I could just read the back of the cliff notes. Maybe that will help me pass this test. I mean, I'm looking for the easiest way out. I hated reading. And to this day, I cannot say that I'm just, you know, this great reader, but I can tell you what, in the last several years, especially since becoming a senior pastor, I've developed an adoration for reading 
because I've given attention to it. I've put myself to it, and I've seen the results of it in my life. Period. Now, I'm not one to just, you know, take a couple hours, find a couple hours to kill, go to Starbucks, grab a book, and just start reading. That's, I, can find other, I can find a TV show to put on or something if i got some free time. But I do like books, and I do like reading, and I do like gaining knowledge, and I do like growing. But it's only because I put myself to it. I developed an adoration for it. I developed a love for it based upon taking the time to value it. I'm going to tell you right now, you can develop a love for the discipline of God and the correction of God in your life. And when someone corrects you, it's like, man, yeah, you're right. I repent. I'm sorry. I missed it. I blew it. Whereas you, you may have been a person that's like as soon as someone, you know, got in your face about correction, like, what? what? You're the one that's got the problem. You want to talk to me about my? Let's talk about your problems. But now you can be one that's quiet and says, yeah, yeah, I blew it. I missed it. You're right. You can develop a love for God's discipline when correction needs to take place. Why? Because you give attention to it and you realize, I need this. And then you see the results of it. What are we talking about? We're talking about recognizing God move based upon valuing it. Where you lay your treasure. And look, guys, where your treasure is, there's your heart also. Your heart's where your treasure is. You can't split the two. What you value reveals your heart. What you give attention to reveals your heart. Y'all getting something out of this? Amen. What we give attention to, we develop an adoration for. To finish my truck story, I ended up getting a Nissan Titan, and I had that all the way up until last year. I had it for seven, eight years. Longer than that. Eight years. Had it eight years. Loved it. We plan on getting another one when that time comes. We drive a Nissan a day. Why? Because I gave attention to something. And this is what I have an affection for. Look, it can be that way with God. There's things that we love about God, and then there's some things we don't. <laughs> you know, we might not love the discipline that it takes to live for God, and it takes discipline. Being a Christian is not for the weak. It's not. It takes discipline. It takes work. It takes always looking inward and saying, what can I correct, Lord? Show me. Reveal to me what can change because I just want to be the best I can for you. That takes work. And you've got to give attention to that. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Last verse. Matthew six thirty-three. An acknowledgement of God is an invitation for more. An acknowledgement of God is an invitation for more. Look at this. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek. 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 
You know, God isn't playing hide-and-go-seek. God's playing show-and-tell. He wants to show you something. He wants to tell you all about it. He's not playing, come find me, see if you can find me. When he says seek, it's not because it's hidden somewhere. He says seek because me seeking determines the value for it. Seek first. Then he names the priority. The entrance of the kingdom in your life is based upon the priority that you give to it. The entrance of the kingdom in my life. What does that mean? The the kingdom of God operating in my life is solely determined by my ability to go after it. And you go after what you value. You've heard me talk about before that, you know, when things are lost or things are hidden, they're hidden for one purpose, to determine your value for it. And when you really value it, You'll keep digging, you'll keep grinding, you'll keep looking, you'll keep going after it because you value it. And I'm not going to stop until I get it. We've got to be drawn near to God. We've got to be drawn near to Him. You have to develop an adoration and an affection for God to see Him move in your life. And it only comes by us valuing the kingdom, by us giving priority to him and his righteousness. Look, drawn away, drawn near. The closer I get to God, the further away I get from the world and the desires of the world. The greatest way to quit sinning is to get close to God. When you're close to God, it's near impossible to sin. You literally have to set your mind to sin now. Whereas you may have just sinned and not even recognized it, and you were setting your mind. You become so focused on the spirit realm, who you are spiritually, and what that sin will cost you, what that sin will, uh, what, what you're risking to do that. I mean, when Paul says, be holy as I'm holy, be holy as I'm holy. Follow my example as I follow Christ. I mean, those aren't words just, you know, try to be holy. I mean, it says be holy. But holy people are close to their God. Holy people are focused and they give attention to their God and to the kingdom of God. And they seek first. God wants a priority in your life, and he wants to be the priority in your life. And everything else, all these things will be added unto you. Amen? We've got to seek God. We've got to go after God. If we're going to recognize him, if we're going to expect him, if you're going to invite him into your life. You know, God is... Such a loving God that He never forces Himself on anybody.
God tends to come by invitation only. God wants to make himself known in your life, no doubt. But he wants to make himself known based upon your desire to know. He wants to make himself real based upon your ability to face the reality of the spirit versus the reality of the flesh. And so it takes opportunities like we took tonight. I tell you what, if you took advantage of the opportunity tonight and were able to close your eyes and literally get one-on-one with him, we're the only ones here. There's nobody else around me. There's nobody else in this room. I don't have a job to go to tomorrow, and I'm not tired from the one I just came. If you can get rid of all that, you can experience God. And I hope you took advantage of that, because that's how real it is. Letting go of the natural. Letting go of everything around me so I can experience Him. And once I recognize Him, once I acknowledge Him, that's an invitation for you. Some of you might go home and invite Him back tonight. Some of you might say, man, tomorrow morning before uh, I get up for work, before I even start my day, I'm going to take time to invite Him back in my life again. Because it's worth it. It's worth it. Father, we thank you tonight that your presence is real. Father, we're not limited to church services and songs playing in the background and people up on stage leading us in worship. Father, we can move in the Spirit. Recognize your presence in the Spirit all on our own, on a day-to-day basis, in our regular schedule, when we give you attention, when we value the Spirit over the natural. No matter how tired we are, no matter how cranky we are, no matter uh, 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 what we just came out of or what we've got to go into, Father, we invite your presence in our We thank you for this tonight. We thank you for moving so mightily among us tonight. We thank you that we can take this with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, inviting God's presence. He wants to be invited in the times where you don't want to invite him the most. Those are the times you need him the most. When turmoil is going on, opposition shows up, you just got a bad report. Those are the times that we want to focus on the natural. Those are the times we just want to look at what's going on around us. But 